Hi, this is Steffi and welcome to The Financial Fox. Today, the show is a panel discussion about tokenization of real-world assets. Joining me is Mark Child, CEO at Condor Gold. He has been on the show a few times. We have been discussing tokenization of gold, and today we are taking a little bit broader because we also have Luke Falenpin. He is the CEO and founder of Tokeny. So, tokenization of assets is a big deal and is set to become a multi-trillion dollar industry by the end of the decade. A report actually suggests that tokenization of globally liquid assets could be a $16 trillion industry by 2030. Those are massive numbers. And we see big institutions like Goldman Sachs, Almington Lane, Siemens, among many others, they are choosing to represent real-world assets as digital tokens on a blockchain. So we are going to dive a bit deeper with my guest on this discussion today. But before we get into this discussion, remember, that this channel doesn't offer any financial advice, but is for informational purposes only. Any research, any due diligence is all down to you because it's your capital that is at risk. Finally, if you're not subscribed to our YouTube channel, click the subscribe button now and follow us on social media to stay up to date with our news and interviews. Hi, Luca. Hi, Mark. How are you? Yeah, hi. Hello, Hello. thanks. Yeah, so it's great to have you on the show. Um, Today, obviously, we are talking about tokenization. And um, I really want, I mean, I've got an expert uh, uh, on uh, on the call. Look, you are uh, the CEO of Tokeny, so I'm sure that you can uh, tell us uh, a little bit more about it. And then we have got Mark Child that we had on the show previous time, uh, coming from more a traditional finance perspective, with a lots of questions that we want to ask uh, and we want to investigate. So, um, so recently, Citibank uh, released a report saying that inspecting on the blockchain-based tokenization of real world assets. Uh, set to become basically the next killer um, use case for crypto, putting some like big number like uh, uh, multi-million dollar industry within a decade. So those are kind of like big numbers. Um, shall we maybe start with a round of introduction, uh, starting with you, Luke, if you can also expand, obviously on your background, but also on what talking does. Yes, sure. And uh, first of all, thank you for, for having me today. And uh, indeed, the... Uh, uh, the report from City is very interesting. It's 162 pages long, so uh, so, so it's uh, quite uh, quite something to read, but uh, but very interesting. And, uh, and I think it proves uh, as well the point that tokenization is coming. It's indeed uh, uh, we we see more and more traction in tokenization. Um, so uh, at Tokenize, that's what we do. We are a tokenization platform. So we are a technology provider. We are not an operator. We only provide the technology in white label to help financial institutions. Uh, mostly large financial institutions to represent their assets on the blockchain, so to tokenize assets uh, in a compliant way, because it's quite easy to create a token, but to create a token that is permission controllable, uh, compliant, it's uh, it's another story. So we we provide the full uh, full set of tools to do that, so to issue, to manage, and to transfer uh, compliant securities on on the blockchain, and we do this uh, since uh, 2017. Uh, so uh, almost six years now. Uh, so we 
we, we saw uh, a lot of different type of projects, let's say. Mark, do you want to... Uh, yes, certainly. Uh, I have a background for 20 years in finance, uh, both sides of the fence, and was an institutional stockbroker, research, then on sales, and then running a company, and then into private equity and fund management. That was 20 years. And last 15 years, I've been involved in gold exploration and development. Um, I run Condor Gold, which is TSX name listed. Uh, we've got 2.4 million ounces of gold in Nicaragua. We've done the final bankable feasibility study. We've got the project fully permitted to construct and operate. Uh, we've cleared all the site of 14 hectares. Uh, we own all the land and we bought a, a mill into the country. So we're at that stage where we're construction ready, if you like, and it would take 18 months to build. And one of the things I've been looking at is how to finance that upfront capital cost. Uh, and one way to actually do that is through, uh, through a gold-based token loan. So we can come on to that. I think that's the perfect point where we can start to, to dive a bit deeper into how do we actually tokenize assets like gold and silver, perhaps? Yes, sure. So, um, as I was saying before, we, we are not an operator. We are simply a tech provider. So, um, basically, before you tokenize an asset, you need to, to have something to tokenize. Um, so if you want to tokenize uh, securities, you need to create your securities. So to have your proper legal documentation, to know what type of investors you're targeting, from where you're issuing, etc., etc. et cetera. Um, so it, it's not always simple to create a financial product and it's not simple to distribute it globally uh, because with blockchain, everything becomes global and worldwide, but uh, regulation is a bit more uh, complex. Um, especially for, for securities. So, uh, so first you need to know exactly what you tokenize, meaning, uh, how do you package your assets in, uh, in a financial product to manage co-ownership and to protect uh, the different uh, stakeholders, uh, because you have rights and duties. You have, uh, rights for, for investors. You have, uh, uh the issue is liable, uh, for, uh, with these investors. So you, you have to set up all of this to, to define all of this to structure your financial product. And then you can tokenize it, meaning issuing a token representing this security and making sure that this token is um, powerful enough um, in order to control the full life cycle of your, uh, of your securities. So it really depends what you want to represent on the blockchain, but first you need an asset structured in the, in the proper way uh, in order to tokenize it. So that will mean uh, if we go back to the question that Mark has, which is, uh, um, perhaps looking at the opportunity to um, raise fund through tokens. Um, and obviously he has got a mine with gold, he has got shares listed on the stock market. What would be the right approach to take to find an alternative solution for him, to, for, him, for the company to raise capital um, using tokenization? So uh, I think gold is a very good example because there are maybe 1,000 ways to tokenize gold uh, because there are 1,000 ways to represent gold uh, with financial products or, uh, or zero key. So we, we actually uh, tokenize gold already in different ways for some of our customers. And sometimes it's a gold directly. Sometimes, most of the time, it's uh, with uh, with debt tokens or loans. Uh, sometimes it can be equity of companies uh, owning uh, this gold. It can be very various ways, funds as well. Uh, we tokenize a lot of funds. So there are many ways to, to tokenize gold. 
Um, that being said, um, you, you have two big type of securities. You have private securities, private market securities, and uh, and uh, publicly listed securities. For publicly uh, listed securities, so listed on exchanges, usually you already have some kind of liquidity and some accesses to investors. A small number of investors, but usually powerful distributors, the members of the exchange. So you already have an infrastructure, the exchange, uh, bringing sorry infrastructure compliance and the audience uh, so it's um, it's quite costly you have intermediaries but but it works we, we see blockchain mostly useful for private markets so for the financial products that you will not uh, necessarily list on these exchanges uh, because it will be too costly and too uh, cumbersome in terms of uh, regulation and uh, reporting etc etc so it's mostly for private markets where you will be able to uh, represent digitally your securities. And because the whole process is digital, you can, uh, in a simpler way, you can distribute the securities and manage uh, a high number of investors. If you manage everything on, on paper, um, to manage 1,000 investors, it, it's quite complex and you have no uh, no fund servicers that will want, that will want to help you. Uh, if, if everything is tokenized in a few clicks, you can manage just 1,000 investors to uh, to mint new tokens, to to perform redemptions, to uh, to do all of the operations you need during the, the life cycle of the uh, of the asset. So basically, tokenizing is just a way to digitize the whole process, the investment process, eventually the redemption process, and uh, all of the corporate actions um, um, that can happen in the meantime. Um, I have a question about. If we are looking at tokenizing financial instruments such as a convertible loan or a debt instrument, so obviously you make it kind of like more transparent, more efficient uh, than okay. traditional ways because you can still do that now. The, you know, you can always list a bond if you want, or you can do a convertible. Um, you can you can do a convertible to raise fund. But I see that perhaps that could be a very interesting way to use a tokenization and to use blockchain. I'm not sure, Mark, what do you think? But it seems to me that this could be a very interesting instrument for a company to look at. Well, if we, if we just take a step back on tokenization, if you look at Tether, Tether's a blockchain, um, but it's also issued USDT, so the US stablecoin. So Tether was set up in uh, 2018, 2014 as a blockchain for fiat currencies. So those fiat currencies, like the US dollar, have now been digitalized or tokenized. The tokens in circulation under Tether are 80 billion US dollars today. That, that's that's just enormous, if you think about it. It's all one-for-one -one backed, they say, at Tether, if you look on the website. And they're doing that in other currencies as well. Uh, they're doing it in euros. Uh, in euros, I wrote down the number just before this, there's $36 billion in euros. In one, there's about $20 billion. Uh, and in gold, there's about 500 million US dollars tokenized. So about 200, uh, the numbers are just on uh, 246,000 ounces of gold. So Tether, Tether, but the Tether USDT works across multiple blockchains. If you look on the website, it actually goes across, across nine at the moment, including Ethereum and Tron and the, the big blockchains. So this, this provides liquidity. Uh, outside of the fiat banking system. And I think this is part of the point about blockchain is it's getting outside of the banking system, which is perhaps there's been a flood into that with the recent banking crisis in the States and Switzerland for that matter. So I think, I think from the gold perspective, um, there's going to be winners, uh, in a, in a liquid 
digital gold. And at the moment, that looks to me as though it could be tether gold. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if looking out five years or more, the, the, that sort of 500 million in tether gold digitalized today is, is, has another zero or two zeros on the end of it. It becomes five billion or, or more. So, so I think that's a, a great example of digitalization uh, working uh, and available to everybody. I think that's a great point, uh, um, picking up what we discussed in one of our previous uh, shows about gold tokens really like right. stable coins. Well, gold, gold is a $12 trillion currency, so it's different from what Luke's saying about a sort of an unquoted private company, which you might want to digitalize an asset. It could be a manufacturing business or a property. That That's different. I'm, I'm saying actually on something much, you start with a bigger picture of, of gold tokenized. And I think the future of mine finance going out is actually to uh, to borrow in tether gold effectively. So as you get a broader use of tether gold, there's nothing to stop somebody coming along and saying to Condor, we want to construct a mine. We can go to a bank. We can go to a royalty company, a streaming company. We can go to additional gold loan company, or we can go to somebody who says, look, we'll provide you with $50 million worth of $100 million worth of tether gold. Uh, we can have a drawdown facility. We'd be very happy because it's one for one backed and the gold's held in Switzerland. So, and you can redeem it actually in Switzerland, anywhere in Switzerland you can redeem it. So we'd be very happy as a listed company to take something like that because there's, there's, there's some liquidity in it. It's backed. It's tried and tested through 80 billion, the, the blockchain system there is tested through $80 billion of US dollars, a stable coin backed. Uh, and I think that could well be a future of it. It's not yet been done. Yeah. There's going to be hurdles to jump over there, but. But in terms of constructing mine finance, I, I see that as a, as, a, as a way forward for the industry. I think it's a, it's a key point, if I may. Um, tokenizing, for the sake of tokenizing, it's totally useless. It becomes interesting um, to, to manage the life cycle of your tokens, but also and mostly to bring new forms of, uh, of liquidity or new distribution channels or uh, everything around DeFi, basically. Uh, what, what you, you just mentioned, Mark, about uh, collateralization or uh, uh, borrowing. Uh, I mean, we, we see more and more lending protocols on chain and, uh, and indeed um, gold has a price and it's quite liquid. So you can automate a lot of operations and, and take the same um, principles that we see today in, uh, in DeFi with crypto when the underlying asset is crypto, uh, where you can automatically liquidate positions and that kind of things. Uh, based on the, on events or when the borrower uh, didn't pay back or that kind of thing. So we can really automate operations and bring real-time finance with assets like uh, like gold. So how do you actually work with your... Uh, you, you mentioned before with your clients, you mentioned before that you are tokenizing. Um, you are already doing tokenization of gold. Uh, mm-hmm. Give us some example or some case study. So we, we have uh, two, two main companies working in um, uh, with commodities. Uh, the first one is Enegra, uh, the EGX token. I think it's $14 billion uh, of uh, uh, valuation uh, tokenized, something like this, uh, according to, to their data. Uh, so we, we tokenize the equity of the company and the equity own uh, a lot of uh, assets. And also we work with Metalstream. Metalstream is another company and they tokenized uh, palladium, uh, a lot of uh, gold, uh, different uh, different um, uh, commodities. A bit more directly, it's not the equity directly, it's more uh, like debt tokens, if I'm uh, if I'm right. Um, so on the side, technically speaking, it doesn't change anything. You create the tokens, you, you set up your rules and you manage your, your tokens. Um, but behind, 
it, uh, it depends what you sell to your token holders and um, what kind of guarantee you give to, your, ask, to your token then, holders. Could I ask on that, for and example, just like Metal Stream or the others, mm -hmm. uh, is it possible that, I, I guess yeah. it is possible, but have you have you seen it, where they're able to offer a yield on, on, on the token, so a dividend, if you like, a uh, coupon or such on, on the token? Yeah, so they're, they're working on it. Uh, it's not live yet, but yes, they're working on it. And I, and I think it's where it's... Come, it could become very interesting because no, no metal, whether it's a precious metal of gold or whether it's a base metal of copper, actually yields anything. It's just a metal. So if if you could, it could be much more yeah. attractive as an investment if you actually had an income. Indeed, it will be a security, but now there are ways to do security tokens in a compliant way and to uh, to do DeFi with these compliant tokens. It is totally possible. Uh, you need to do it a bit differently with a, with a white list of uh, eligible uh, token holders cannot be for everybody. You need to define your rules and uh, to, to make sure they are enforced, but you can do it. So that's why it takes a bit more time than uh, standard TRC-20 tokens, but uh, but we can do it. As the, I mean, my question would be, let's say that you can actually, you, you issue a token and then you think about a way um, with perhaps putting in some DeFi where you can actually get people to earn interest. Now, how public market will take that, Mark? How, I mean, and look at you as well, because you're probably working with like a company on public market. The question would be around, can you create an infrastructure that is going to be feasible or compatible with the public market? Uh, that's to me first. I mean, the first thing you're going to have to do is go through your regulators, you know, the people who are regulating you. So. That, that the first move on that's going to just have to go through a, a huge educational system, I think, with, with the regulators and aim on the nomads and so forth. And that's going to be legal, massive legals, and, and uh, not even sure it's permissible as on securities as such. In terms of a debt instrument, if it doesn't touch the equity, so the shares and you've got your market cap and your shares and so on, so if, it's, if it's excludes the equity and it's debt to finance something, I see less of a hurdle with it because you can ultimately go to the shareholders and get shareholder approval for that. That doesn't change the equity. The, the, so the, the regulators tend to be concerned about protecting, if you like, Granny Smith and the retail shareholder uh, as their main focus of protection rather than uh, the debt providers um, to, to, to listed companies. So the debt could be... Uh, it could be totally, and it could be unquoted. And most debt's unquoted. And it's just lent from a bank. It could be Sausage General in Paris or whoever, yeah, BMO. So it doesn't matter. You're just going to, as an executive management team, say we want to borrow X amount. And as, but you're, as long as you've got the shareholder permission to do that, either as an EGM or prior permissions, you can probably go ahead and do it. But you need to still run it past your regulator if it's not been done before. Uh, otherwise, you run, if they wake up and read about it in the newspaper, they're going to be up to you know, then ask loads of questions. So it'd be subject to regulatory approval, which is which is a potential hurdle. Look, do you have any experience that you can share maybe on some kind of regulatory hurdle that you have to deal yep. with and how you actually put together a solution or you got around it? So, so for the last six years, we uh, uh, we spent a lot of time with uh, with regulators all around the world to, to explain that uh, it is possible to bring compliance and control even on public blockchains by controlling the smart contracts and by adding features on the smart contracts to make sure that the issuer of the token and the financial product or its authorized agents can perform any uh, compliance operations that they need to perform. So the first one is uh, KYC obligations. You need to know who are your investors. So you need to know who are your token holders. So you basically need to track ownership of your tokens even on public blockchain. How do you do this? 
we fix that with on-chain identities. So every uh, investor gets an on-chain identity and we whitelist this on-chain identity. So if you have not been identified, you cannot receive those tokens. Uh, that's uh, technically uh, impossible. So that's just one of the components, but we also have other features like uh, a recovery process, for example. You, you cannot lose your securities. It doesn't exist. Uh, normally, you have a custodian or providers, registrar who say, okay, you, you have your securities, you're the owner. So it's not because you lose access to your wallet or someone uh, steal your private key that suddenly uh, you don't have your securities anymore or is a new owner or, or things like this. So we have a recovery process and we have uh, different uh, functions and agents who can perform operations on your tokens, even if they don't control your wallets. So all of this, uh, these features are mandatory in order to, to tokenize securities. And when we explain to regulators that we can do all of these things, and we know exactly who is doing what, who is responsible of what in the value chain, they are totally fine um, to consider that security tokens are securities and that the only thing we we, we ask for uh, is okay. We, we are doing securities just uh, in a digital format. And most of the time, it's, the token is not the security itself. It's just a, a representation of the security. The same way you could use uh, Excel for your uh, registry. You can use a blockchain to, uh, to track the ownership of your, uh, uh, to, to track your cap table. So actually, in most jurisdictions, you can tokenize securities very, uh, very easily. I mean, it raised question about really about security because uh, you could get act, for example, and the token can just disappear. Um, how do you protect custom? Because I understand the point about white labeling, right? Only if you are white labeled, then you can get, you can receive the token. That's mm -hmm. fine. But what about, what about getting act? What about you lose? Which is why I happen on public blockchain all the time. So um, if you lose access to your wallet, as long as you can prove where you are, so your identity to the issuer or is a custodian agent, you will be able to recover your tokens. Because via the smart contract, the issuer or the authorized agent can move your lost tokens to a new wallet. And on chain, you are still the, the owner because you have an on chain identity and your wallets are linked to this identity. So actually, uh, your wallet becomes just a pocket and you can move your tokens from your left pocket to the right pocket, but you're still, uh, you're still the, the, the legit owners of, of these assets. So you, you need the full framework, technical framework to do that. So it's not that simple technically to enforce compliance, but now there are solutions. So who are the partners, for instance, on the identity point that you are working with? Because you mentioned about being mm -hmm. ecosystem, so I guess that you have a few partners to work with. Yeah, so uh, so technology, what it does is to, uh, to take the compliance status, the KYC status, for example, that you've made and to bridge it with, uh, with the blockchain. So we, we, we had a proof on the blockchain that this person has been verified. Or you verify the investor, it depends on, on your, your own KYC process and your own KYC providers. So we, we have an onboarding solution that we can provide, but some of our clients use their own to their KYC on their side, etc. Uh, so you can use any KYC solution to, uh, to automate operations. Or you can do this uh, internally, or you can delegate to a KYC agent. Uh, it, it doesn't matter. It's the same process than usual uh, when you, you deal with uh, with investors, except that at the end you had a proof on the blockchain saying, "Okay, this person is authorized for this token." And uh, do you provide the wallet, or people can just use uh, their own MetaMask, for example? 
So it's compatible with uh, any uh, ERC20 wallets. Uh, so our, our framework of token is named uh, ERC3643. It has been given by the Ethereum community, so it's a bit complex uh, as a name, uh, but it's uh, retro compatible with ERC20. Uh, so any wallets uh, can uh, can hold these tokens. So issuers and their agents need uh, wallets to sign blockchain transactions, like uh, minting tokens, burning tokens, recovery, uh, freeze, block, uh, many functions like this. And on the investor side, uh, they need wallets to receive these tokens and eventually to, to transfer these tokens. Uh, so they can use any wallet they want, but more and more we have uh, issuers who want to dynamically generate wallets for their investors because most in investors have no clue about what is a wallet and uh, how to operate uh, a wallet. When, when uh, um, we look at the liquidity issue that could be fragmented, could be really there is not much liquidity, how how does uh, tokening look at the liquidity problem and how do you not create more liquidity but make sure there is liquidity for the token um, that you create Yes, so the main thing is that for for private markets we first we try to reduce the illiquidity cost because most of the time you have absolutely no liquidity for your private market assets um, so we, we try to make sure that uh, you can find uh, a few potential buyers to drastically reduce your liquidity cost. So it's not about high, frac high frequency trading, it's more about reducing the liquidity cost. <clears throat> that being said, we, we see different ways to bring liquidity for assets. So you have built and board systems and networks where directly investors can find a counterparty to, to trade with by posting ads on the investor portal of a defined token or on different digital asset marketplaces. And once they, they have find someone, they can directly uh, settle uh, in peer-to-peer -peer via the blockchain. So this is great because you don't need any license to operate such built-in board. So most of our clients, issuers, uh, on their investor portals, they activate a built-in board Meaning, if you want to buy uh, a specific token, you go on the website of this token, you get qualified, and then you can find other investors to, to trade with. So it's quite uh, quite convenient. So that's the first thing. Then we are compatible with uh, any centralized exchange, but centralized exchanges don't bring too much value by using the blockchain. Uh, you already have centralized exchanges working well, uh, but they provide the, the whole thing. As I was saying, the whole infrastructure, uh, the compliance framework and the, the audience and, and but all of this has a cost and it's very uh, defined and uh, it's hard to, to innovate uh, within this uh, this scope. So we are compatible with centralized exchanges but if they use or not the blockchain it doesn't really change anything. And uh, finally we see more and more innovation with uh, with DeFi with uh, uh, AMMs for example so the Uniswap model but for uh, for security tokens with automated uh, uh, liquidity pools very interesting. Uh, we see as well uh, collateralization as a as a mean to to find liquidity. So there are different forms of liquidity, new forms of uh, new solutions. But we, we don't think that centralized exchanges exchanges are the are the future because they exist already, and maybe they can uh, reduce their cost and uh, improve a bit their service by using blockchain. But for the moment, it's not the case. Okay, I mean you are based in France. Are you working with any Euronex listed company? Is there any public listed company that is coming to you asking for this kind of solution? Yes, so um, so we are based in Luxembourg. I am French, as you can see with my terrible accent, but uh, we, we are based in Luxembourg and actually we have Euronext as a shareholder of token. Um, so uh, so we are quite familiar with their, their challenges uh, and opportunities. And, um, and yes, we have uh, more and more 
publicly listed companies uh, want to tokenize assets, mostly to tokenize funds and open-ended funds, so publicly listed funds, uh, to, to automate um, a subscription and redemption and all of the operations, mostly because distribution is a bit broken for, uh, for these large funds. You have a lot of uh, intermediaries and pyramid of, uh, of distributors. Um, now they want to digitize the whole process and, and basically say to all of their distributors, now you bring uh, your audience, the traffic directly on my platform and, uh, and I will uh, manage the rest uh, digitally. How did you manage to get Euronext involved? Uh, so Euronext invested quite early in our company in 2019 um, because they, they saw tokenization as a way to um, to bring an infrastructure to private markets and they were only active in public markets uh, at that time. So, uh, so they, they found it very uh, complementary. Mark, do, do you do you have any other questions? Uh, no, I think it's quite clear what Luke said. Um, and, 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 and at the moment, he's the... the, the, the as I understand, the vast majority of the focus is on unquoted companies for, for tokenization. And it's going to take time. Well, even with listed companies, it might be tokenizing an asset for a listed company. But but, but the securitized tokens, uh, I don't think you're going to see shares, for example, in HSBC or BP or Marks and Spencers in the UK offering a parallel securitized token of HSBC shares or BP or whatever shares for the foreseeable future, uh, because that'll need shareholder approval and regulatory approval of, of the existing infrastructures. I don't see that happening, but I think the tokenization is un underneath it of individual assets, maybe property they own or uh, an asset they own or something uh, that, that's, that, 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 that could happen to, to unlock value or uh, so on. So, yeah. So, you know the company Bitpanda, Luca, are you familiar with that? Okay, so yes. a couple of years ago, I think probably it was a year ago, um, you could actually buy Apple shares mm -hmm. uh, on Bitpanda Pro. They, they, they were kind of like token because you could trade them, you know, 24 right. 7 really. Mm -hmm. So uh, I don't know exactly in Bitpanda's case, but uh, I don't think the shares were tokenized. And anyway, they were not tokenized by the company <laughs> itself. So you have potentially investors uh, who can buy the shares in the public market, immobilize them somewhere and create... Yeah, just uh, like you do an ETF, okay. this, this, uh, uh, which, which holds a variety of shares, you know, so, so that can happen. Yeah. yeah. But, but you need to trust the issuer of this token, and uh, and this token, if it's um, if it acts uh, as a security, uh, you, you have to make sure you can enforce security rules, uh, which were not the case before. For example, on FTX, probably not the best example now, uh, but you could buy tokenized shares, and you never access these tokens. You could not uh, take these tokens out of the platform. Uh, maybe it was not even tokenized, you could not know. And why you could not uh, take these tokens out of the platform is because otherwise they would lose the compliance link and they would not know who owns these tokens anymore, which would be a real issue for them. Okay, I just the last point I wanted to ask, because, okay, you said you're based in Luxembourg and obviously um, before starting uh, talking, you probably have a look at different kinds of jurisdiction and also Germany, which is making some really interesting progress in privacy mm -hmm. security. What can you share about the regulatory framework from your side that you think perhaps is looking interesting there or perhaps maybe Luxembourg is the best place? What about Switzerland? We will be curious to, to know your views as well. Yes, so we, when we created the uh, token in Luxembourg, we hesitated between Luxembourg and Singapore because at that time Singapore was uh, very active in the crypto blockchain space and most of the ICOs and so on and so forth were in Singapore. <clears throat> but we 
we saw Luxembourg as a, as a great place for securities and therefore as a great potential place for security tokens. And we, we are right because in the meantime, we got three blockchain regulations specifically saying that you can uh, issue securities on the blockchain and you can transfer them on the blockchain and you can collateralize them on chain as well. Luxembourg is part of the AU, so it follows the AU directive. So basically what you can do in Luxembourg, you can do it uh, across Europe uh, most of the time. Um, the, the regulation for uh, financial products in Europe is very, very clear with MIFID and CSDR, it's trust, it's very, uh, very well done. Uh, and apparently, it's easier now to tokenize securities in Europe than in the US. <laughs> Why? Because in the US, it's not clear if you can use public blockchains or not uh, and how. Uh, in, in Europe, we don't have this issue. It's clear for a few years and now uh, officially with Mika and TLT pilot regime that securities uh, can be tokenized and security tokens are securities. Uh, utility tokens, stable coins eventually can be different things, but security tokens are securities, as simple as that. And Luxembourg is a great place because it's uh, uh, it's small but extremely agile. It's actually the second place in the world with money under management after the US. Um, and everybody speaks finance here, so it's quite easy to uh, to learn projects. Super interesting. Okay, so Luxembourg, great. I mean, I have a business partner and we set up an edge fund in Luxembourg. But now mm -hmm. yeah. we are moving more into a VC fund, so we have to kind of change the structure. And, mm -hmm. it's, uh, you know, it takes a bit of time, right? Yeah, yeah of course, it takes time uh, everywhere. But we, we have many clients who started like in Gibraltar or other jurisdictions. And... Uh, uh, and now they want to, to move in, uh, in Luxembourg because it, it, it's better uh, for many reasons. Uh, you need to find the right providers because uh, in, in Luxembourg, you have um, large providers for large funds, etc. If you want to do something smaller, it's not easy to find the right providers. Uh, but now we know them because we work with them for four years. So, uh, so it's very easy to, to set up an investment vehicle, to bring investors and to manage the whole thing. Okay, interesting. And in terms of like getting clients, marketing, you are not, are you able to market that yourself mm -hmm. to kind of go after clients mm -hmm. or you get maybe your partners to do marketing for you to business development, call it that way. Yeah. Um, so, so you're still, uh, you still have to, uh, to follow the securities regulations and depending on where you target your investors. Yeah. Um, so in Europe, uh, it's quite easy, uh, behind the world, it's quite easy to target qualified or uh, accredited or whatever the name, professional investors. To target retail investors, it's more complicated. In Europe, you can do it, um, depending on the countries, up to 8 million per year per issuer, 8 million euros, which is quite good already. And on top of this, you can add uh, qualified investors. And you can do this with, with a light prospectus, so with minimum legal documentation. Then you can do a real prospectus. It's a bit more, uh, a bit costly and uh, a bit uh, longer, but uh, it's still possible. Uh, in the US, you will need to do a Reg A, which is very costly and quite long, but otherwise it's hard to, to target uh, investors. In, in Asia as well, it's quite hard to target investors. It was so great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Luke, and thank you, Mark.